let's take three and a half cups of flour. I'm going to, I've made this pizza in public a few times. In fact, I did it here about three years ago, but you don't even remember it, right? Three and a half cups of flour. (laughs) I'm not eating this, so, uh, and then you take one and a half teaspoons of coarse salt. There's one and a half, and I am putting it on the left side of the bowl right there. That's important. Not in the middle, but on the left side of the bowl. Then I take this right here. Anybody know what this is? Yeast. So I take this yeast. It's also known as what? A leavener. Yes, it is a leaven. So I take two teaspoons of that, and I'm going to put it over here on the other side of the bowl. The other side of the bowl. Not where the salt is. It's important that you do that because what salt does to the leavener is it stops it from reacting. So if I were to immediately put the yeast on top of the salt, I would not get much reaction. So because it's separated now, and then I mix it together, it has some reaction, but it's limited very little. So now I've got the flour, the salt, and the sugar. Not sugar, but the salt and the yeast. So I've got a little extra flour. I need uh, this. This is, man, this is one of the best products out there. <laughs> this is Mike's Hot Honey. Not Trish, uh, but uh, Mike's Hot Honey. And uh, so I, it calls for two teaspoons of, of honey. I did that because she's not here. So uh, uh, it calls for two teaspoons of honey. So this is the way we, uh, I measure when I make my pizza. And how many of you cook like this? There's one and there's two. All right. And then it calls for olive oil, four uh, teaspoons of olive oil. One, two, three, and four. Do you all cook like that? Should makes a lot things a lot easier. Then uh, we mix all this up. Well, are you telling her what to do over there, Therese? What are you doing? So while that's mixing, oh, you know what? I can't do this right now. Somebody go get me some water. Would you go get me a a, a cup and a half of water? Thank you. Make sure it's a little warm. Warm water is better. But while Kyle's getting the water, uh, let, me, let me tell you uh, about this whole thing. In February coming up, it will have been 20 years since Keith Tyner emailed me and said, hey, you're doing that True Love Waits thing, and when you do it, and my daughter Caitlin gets old enough, she wasn't even in the sixth grade at this point, this was 20 years ago, He says, I want to know when you do that because I want to make sure she's not there. It's Keith, you know, you just, so, uh, so Keith, uh, and I had this conversation. Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate that. And, uh, I put, it is warm. Nice job. Pour that in there. Let this go. Keith said, 
uh, yeah, you're kind of putting the kids under the law by having them sign this pledge card to remain abstinent, to not have sex before marriage. And I'm like, you're nuts, dude. This is like a good thing. And so we started meeting at Panera Bread on Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock. And he began to unpack all these truths that we unpack with you every week. Some of you were at Panera the, during those times. How's it going back here? It sounds kind of... Kyle, can you give me some more water? Just give me a... Just fill it up. It looks a little dry, so I'll wait. Uh, so we started going to Panera, and he began packing all these truths, and for like 18 months, no, nah, it wasn't 18 months. It's probably about eight months, and that's a whole other story. I finally came to Keith and said, you know what? I've gone to seminary. I've gone to Oklahoma Baptist University. I've got my master's degree. I've grown up in Southern Baptist Church all my life, and the things that you've been teaching me, you're right, and I'm wrong. Like what I learned growing up and going to seminary and everything else has been challenged by a lay person in the church. That was a humbling, thank you, sir. You're a good man. I almost said intern. So uh, I put a little water in there. Uh, And so once I said, hey, you know what? What you're teaching is true and what I'm teaching is causes people to be bound up, I begin to see things totally different. Long story short, I began to teach the same Bible, the same Gospels, the same New Testament, the same Old Testament, but with a different mindset. One that Jesus Christ came to set us free, and that I'm forgiven past, present, and future. It literally took me some time to say, okay, I didn't understand it my whole life, and everything that I've invested in didn't make sense. It was just a bunch of Bible stories put together, and I was trying to work hard at what I was doing. Oh, now I got it too wet. See, this is the way you make pizza dough. So now you got to add a little flour. And as I was like, confessing all this to Keith and caused me to to do things different, I ended up leaving the institutional church. Like, I I literally just walked out. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't have a clue. And then uh, we started saying, "Ah, I'll develop a 501c3 ministry. Well, the government said, you got to come up with a name for your 501c3 ministry. And I'm talking with Keith and Cooper and all these guys. And Keith says, well, you know, we've learned all this at Panera for the last 10 years. Why don't you come up with a bakery term? So then I went home and started looking through a glossary of bakery terms. And I saw this leavener. The change agent in a dough product that causes it to rise and transform while it's in a state of rest. What in the world? This is exactly what I was learning at Panera all those years and talking with other guys. I was raised from the dead by Jesus Christ. I was crucified with Christ and I was raised from the dead. Oh man, I hope I didn't put too much water in there. I don't want a sticky dough. Uh... 
And then I was transformed, like he literally transformed my life. Which I didn't even understand at the time I was eight years old and made a salvation decision. And now all I have to do is rest in him. So all of a sudden this leavener thing made sense to me. How, how do you get this name? So then we started calling it Levner, and Keith and I actually went to a pizza class together. It was kind of weird, two guys walking into a pizza-making class together. It's not so weird nowadays, but... Um, the guy taught us how to make this pizza, and, and that's what I'm sitting here making. And then I would make pizza all the time for people, and I would teach financial peace classes, and, and Bubba, Bubba was this... How big was Bubba? 6'3", six, 6'4", three, six, 350, but he'd sit right on the front row and everybody would have to look around Bubba. But Bubba was like the best, I, I promise you, he was the best deacon that Levener ever had. He would check on people, he would go to the hospitals, he would, and I never asked him to do that stuff, he just did it. Oh man, this thing is like shaking good. Look at that, just a little bit more. All right, so uh, that's way, I'm mixing it way too long, but I'm telling a story. So uh, I, I started to get Bubba to like come over to my house because he wanted to learn how to make pizzas like we did. And so I taught him how to make pizzas and then he would come over and he would make pizzas and all of a sudden it became Bubba's pizza. Bubba was the guy that, that made pizza and so, uh, oh, I think we're close, close enough. It's a little, it's a little gooey, but I don't. Here, I got this. This is pro, I've never done it with gloves before, but I've never had to teach before afterwards. So, uh, show you what this dough looks like. So Bubba's like making pizzas, and then and then Bubba died, which obviously it's a sad thing. But Bubba's Bubba's as happy as can be right now. I promise you. Because I know where Bubba is, and he's with Jesus. I'm making a total mess up here. That's all right. So, uh, oh man, it's just a little wet. Look at that. I get enough. Oh, it's too wet. See, I need more flour. I'm glad I put gloves on. So look at that. I put too much too much water in it the second time. So watch this. This is nasty, but I'm not going to be able to do it. But I'm going to take this off and put my glove in there. This is not how you make pizza. But we'll let this sit right here, and I'm going to cover it up. Gloves and all. Don't worry about it. We're not eating this. Man. That's, well, she said that's what happens when you don't measure. Well, usually, I feel a little legalism coming on right now from the front row. So, I'm not usually like teaching while I'm making pizza, you know, I'm focused on, on, just let that sit right there. We got dough and 
rubber gloves in there. It's awesome. <laughs> so Bubba made pizzas, and Bubba died, and we continued to, to do this, but I, 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 I did all this for a point. One, to kind of explain how we got the name Levener, because you almost have to do that once a year. But now, let's go back to where we've left off, which was Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. I'll get to this in just a second. All right? For those of you that are visiting, Paul has gone out and he's evangelized the churches in southern Galatia. The Jews came along and said, hey, what he's teaching is only half-truth. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. Da, 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 da. Paul gets upset, writes this letter to the church at Galatia and says, hey, everything that I've taught you, you need to go back to that, not to what the Jews are telling you to do. And so in chapters 3 and 4, which we just finished, he had like six arguments that he went through. Basically saying, this is why I'm telling you what I'm telling you. You need to go back and read those. But now you get to chapter 5 and he gets to the application of the whole thing. It gets to the application. And it's this. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It says, For freedom Christ set us free. Let me read that again. It says, For freedom Christ set us free. I got two. For freedom, Christ set us free. Finally. Come on, Brandon, man, you said it right before we came up here. It's like, I'm free, I'm free. we got to know that you're free. It says, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's like saying, I just now taught you in chapters 3 and 4 of my letter. He didn't have chapters in his letters back then that there's a difference between being under the law and being under grace. And just for an illustration, he uses the term a yoke of slavery. Do you know what a yoke is? There's this picture of the oxen that have this, what they call a yoke, and you actually steer the oxen with this yoke, but it also bridles them. It restrains them. It keeps them in line, and that's what he's saying. This yoke of slavery, which was given to the Jews, which was the law, he's like, you've had that yoke actually removed. Like, you are free. Jesus said back in the Gospels, my yoke is easy. He's talking to the Pharisees who had the law memorized. Burden is light if you follow me. My yoke's easy. How, how easy is it? This is what Paul gets ready to explain here in Galatians as he moves through this says, uh, verse 2, take note, I, Paul, am telling you that if you get yourselves circumcised, this was one of the things we talked about this a few weeks ago, 
Abraham believed in Genesis chapter 15. Then in Genesis chapter 17, two chapters later, they had this covenant, Abraham, between God and him, that if they got circumcised, it would designate them as his people. It would be a promise. But remember, Abraham believed before the circumcision. It says, take note, I'm telling you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. That's pretty harsh. You who are trying to be justified by the law are alienated from Christ and you have fallen from grace. I take you to Acts chapter 15, which we have not gotten to in our study on Acts yet. But verses 1 and 2, it says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. That, that's a big deal right there. They said you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. But after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, the church arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some others of them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this controversy. So see, what's happened here is the Judaizers have come along and said, hey, Paul said that if you believe, if you believe in Jesus, then you're saved. That's all you need to do. That's all you need to do is believe. You don't have to come down an altar. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to do all these things. It's just a matter of belief. But the Judaizers now are pinning salvation on circumcision. You're not saved unless you're circumcised. Well, Paul's saying exactly the opposite in verses 2, 3, and 4. He's saying if you get circumcised, You've just abandoned the whole cross that Christ did. If you go back to the law, if you go back to something that was promised to the Jews, remember this church in Galatia is really Gentiles, wasn't even for them. If you go back to that, you're totally abandoning everything that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Judaizers actually believe that the acceptance of this Jewish ritual would save a person. Totally opposite of what Paul was teaching. Paul's point here is that anyone who insists on living under the law fails to trust in Christ. Did you hear that? That's awesome. Her phone said, I didn't get that. Let me repeat that. Paul, his point is that anyone insisting on living under the law fails to trust in Christ. You have to hear that. Because you believe in Jesus Christ, and if you become dependent upon, watch this, this part, the law, the law, if you become dependent on that, to measure how good you are as a person, Paul's saying, you failed. You failed to see it. It's Christ that makes you whole. It's Christ who makes you holy. It's Christ who forgives your sins. It's not anything that you do. It's not about your behavior as Nick was talking about up here. 
Paul's saying you cannot mix law and grace. You can't. You can't. You can't mix the two. It's like the salt and the yeast. You can't mix the two of them together because then it defeats the purpose of the two. If you choose to live by one law, then you choose to live by all the law. If you choose to get circumcised, then now you have to follow all the law. Right? If you take just a part of the law, then you've got to do the whole thing. 99% grace and 1% law is bondage to the whole law. Process that. In verse 5 he says, For we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness. This is... This is um, this is where you can look at a verse right here and you can interpret it two different ways. If you say, for we eagerly await through the Spirit by faith the hope of righteousness, that last part, the hope of righteousness, let's hope that we're righteous. You missed out on something. For Abraham... That makes sense. The hope of righteousness. Because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. Right? Jesus has already died on the cross some 2,000 years ago. Now all of a sudden, it's not hope for me anymore because He's made me righteous. You get that, right? He's made you righteous. goes back to... Abraham was credited righteousness. I am granted righteousness. Like you're looking at a righteous person. When we, call, when we called Esther out about being perfect, it's because Christ made her perfect. She is perfect. No, she doesn't behave perfectly, but she is righteous and holy because of what Christ did. So when I look at that now, I look at the hope of righteousness I am the hope of righteousness because of what Christ did in me. I read it totally different than I used to read it. And then you have to take that and you have to filter it through all 66 books. There's, I think when, uh, I think when Keith shared this stuff with me some 20 years ago, I had I had a, the Bible and I had a bunch of Bible stories and I was able to communicate those Bible stories somewhat uh, with the students as I was a youth minister at that time. But now that I see things differently from a different perspective, there is one thread that goes through all 66 books. And so literally when I read my Bible, when I study in Logos, when I do all that thing, there's one thread that goes through there. The grace, and I, I have been freed. I have, I have a new person in Christ. I'm a new creation. I'm holy. I'm redeemed. How does this work through all 66 books? And guess what? This book makes more sense to me now than it ever did. I don't understand it completely. I don't understand it wholly, but I understand it a lot more because of that one thread. My identity in Jesus Christ 
is clearly seen in every book. Somebody says, how do you teach on the same thing every Sunday? I'm like, because it's in all 66 books. It makes sense to me in all 66 books. I'm literally working my way through the Scripture, and every week we sit here and talk about identity. Once there's this thread that goes through it, it makes sense to me. Verse 6, it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. <laughs> it, this literally enables me. Some, some people uh, grew up like I did, I would say, in a, in a form of legalism, and then came to an understanding of grace 20 years ago revealed by the Holy Spirit, not by Keith. But uh, because of that, I've lived two ways of life in the Christian form. One under legalism and one under grace. And because of that, I can see the big difference. Some of you in here just know grace, which is a great thing. It's a great thing. If that's all you know, hang on to it. You don't have all this baggage that you have to unpack like I do, like a lot of you in this room. So when you live by grace, watch this, when you live by grace, you depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a spirit that lives inside of us. He's taken up residence inside of our mortal bodies. And I'm learning every day to become dependent upon this spirit that lives inside of me. Occasionally, occasionally I go back to my old ways of legalism and I become dependent upon my own strength. And I'm, you, you realize that that's like New York's best, best time seller books is all about uh, self-help. Good luck with that. I did it that first part of my life. And then I realized I'm just running in this rat race and never going to catch up. I got, ex I got exhausted, got tired. And now, literally, my life is transformed and I rest, still do stuff, still busy, but it's Christ doing it through me. The efforts of your flesh will never accomplish what faith can accomplish through the Spirit. Trust me. You can try all you want. But I'll put a person that's walking according to their flesh versus a person walking with the Spirit head to head any time. And I would definitely want to hang out with a person that's walking with the Spirit. And Paul is literally saying, here's how faith works. You see it in this room. Faith works through love. Love for God, and then obviously love for others. Unfortunately, uh, flesh can't manufacture that same love. I'll, I'll apply it to my marriage. Like, I can literally tried to love my wife and I think that I did that the first part of our marriage in my own strength. 
And then when I came to understand my identity in Jesus Christ, understand what he did for me, understand that he wants to live my life for me, I realized that it's probably the same way for her. I am able to love my wife more because it's not me doing it. Hmm. I'm able to love my wife more because it's Christ in me that's doing it. There's times when it's hard to love one another. And I say that in this room. It's hard. But if we're depending on our own strength to do that, it gets even harder. We, uh, I've used this, I used to use this term all the time. I don't, but uh, we all have some form of gooberishness in us. I'm not saying that you're goobers because you're wholly redeemed and righteous, but sometimes you act like goobers. That would be your flesh. And that really aggravates me. Some of you really annoy me. And I annoy you. I get it. I get it. But the deal is, is that we've chosen to be in this community together and to love one another, and we're capable of doing that because of Christ in us. Christ in us allows us to love one another in our gooberishness. Right? And I can do the same thing in my marriage. You realize that in those last two verses, Paul incorporated faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. That's this community. Verse 7, it says this. You were running well. Who prevented you from being persuaded regarding the truth? The Olympics are coming up in 2020 next summer. USA is uh, looking for redemption. Because I don't know if you remember in Brazil in 2016, but Mike Rogers handed off in the 100-meter relay race in hopes of beating Jamaica to Gatlin yet he was one step past the box of passing the baton. And they were disqualified. Didn't even get to finish. The, they finished the race, but they were DQ'd. So now they're looking for redemption. Look, they were still Olympians. They were still Olympians. They just didn't get to compete the way they wanted to, and they became up disappointed. What Paul's saying here is this. You were running well. You were running free. And then all of a sudden, somebody came in your lane and DQ'd you. Not that you lost your salvation. It's just you're not going to win, and you're not going to enjoy this. That's literally what he's saying to them. If you come in here, you're free, and all of a sudden you allow them to come in here and teach you law, you were running well. 
Now you're not. Verse 8, it says this, this persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. It says verse 9, says a little leaven leavens the whole batch of dough. Now look, it's still growing. Even with rubber gloves in there, it's still growing. Why is that? Because there's leaven in there. And we mix the leaven in that whole batch right there. And what the leaven did is it causes it's causing it to be transformed. I know in the scripture that Jesus and Paul and others talk about leaven and they talk about it being the leaven of the Pharisees. And this is exactly what the Judaizers did. He's Paul saying a little bit of leaven. Man, if that gets in the batch, it spoils the batch. But Matthew thirteen thirty three says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. You see, the yeast, the leavener, it's a neutral thing. It can be referred to as good or it can be referred to as bad. What I believe here is if this group right here figures out their identity in Jesus Christ, you begin to impact and leaven this whole community. And Paul says, how do you do that? You do it through love. You do it through love. Verse 10, he says, I myself am persuaded in the Lord will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. You got people around here that are teaching law and grace. I don't, I don't know what that penalty is. But Paul's like, this is a serious matter. What you're doing is you're taking what Jesus Christ did on the cross and you're watering it down. He says, now brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. If I'm still preaching circumcision, then what Christ did means nothing. I wish those who are disturbing you might also let themselves be mutilated. <laughs> did you hear that? I wish those Judaizers that are telling you the law would like cut themselves. Yeah. That's pretty brutal. He's, he's literally saying to these Gentiles now, I want you to cut yourselves off from the religious community that's claiming to have these principles of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, he says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. Oh, here we go. i got a few minutes. You see... When we actually started Levener uh, in 2007, the, the five of us we got together and we said, can we, can we really go and, and have a community of believers that teach freedom in Christ? Like, you're free to do whatever. That's a risk, you know, because what most churches do is they like to keep you under the law because they want to control your behavior because it looks bad for them if everybody's just running amok. So what if we did that? What if we literally taught you're free in Christ? 
that first two or three years was pretty tough. But we've continued to teach that. Because, you see, there's two extremes. You, you have those uh, believers that interpret liberty as a license. Liberty as a license. And so what it caused them to do is it just caused them to just run amok. And then on the other extreme, you had those that were wanting to keep the legalism side of things. And then probably about two or three years into it, there began to be kind of a, a balance. There was this balance of not legalism, but understanding our true freedom in Christ was my freedom is that of following the Spirit, not of my flesh. So the more we taught people about who they were in Christ, about their identity, that they're holy, redeemed, and righteous, they begin acting out of that. Rather than I'm just free, I can do whatever I want, that's the whole license. Well, yeah, you are free and you can do whatever you want, but we hope that you're understanding who you are in Christ. If you understand who you are in Christ, then you're going to live your life according to the Spirit. I wouldn't go back and change a thing. I realize that we've got people that are taking what we are teaching and they are forming it to their own opinions and likes. I get that. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to teach this right here. You take what I teach and you form it into other statements, opinions, ideas. That's your issue, not mine. I am not responsible for you. What I'm doing is I'm trusting the Lord with you. Trusting the Lord with myself. Lord, you need to do this in their life. You need to reveal this to them. You need to unpack this with them. You need to show them what it means to walk by the Spirit. I I think really what Paul's saying here, this isn't about you. Look around. It's really not about us. I, I don't sit up here for my own benefit. I really don't. I sit up here because I love you and I care about you. And I feel like I have something to share. Paul says last two verses here. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. When he's talking about the whole flesh in these verses, he's talking about patterns of our old simple nature which we no longer have. Uh, center of like human pride and our ability to, to do things ourselves. I read this definition. Flesh is the arena of indulgence and self-assertion. The locale in which the ultimate sin reveals itself to be the false assumption of receiving life, not as the gift of the Creator, but procuring it by one's own power or living from oneself rather than from God. That is flesh. 
And when he's sitting here saying to if you if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. He's literally describing these wild animals in the church. A deadly fight. And he's warning the Galatians that attacking one another will ultimately destroy their community. And he's saying, how you feel versus what the Spirit is leading you to do is typically two different things. Did you hear that? If you live life based upon how you feel, sometimes you're going to make some pretty bad choices. Now, sometimes your feelings will line up with the Spirit. I get that. But Paul's saying the key word here is love. The formula looks something like this. Freedom and liberty, freedom, liberty, plus love will will force you, not force you, but lead you into service to others. I believe that. Liberty, freedom, minus love causes you to have a license. Do whatever you want. That's still a slavery to sin. And then... How you describe the whole license thing, if you can just live off of your feelings and do whatever you want, to me, that's cheap grace. When you realize what our Savior did, that He he came here in the form of a baby, took on human flesh, took on human flesh, And he experienced life here on earth and he shared the good news. He suffered. He suffered here. He did that so he can sympathize with you because you know what it's like. He died. He's buried. Rose again. Sits at the right hand of God. They sent the Spirit to live inside of you. If you take all that and make it cheap, you're missing it. You're missing it. He literally says, I love you, and if you want everybody to know that you're my disciples, figure this thing out, and you will automatically love one another, and they will all know that you're my disciples. Just love one another. It's not about the law. It's not about doing things. It's just about loving one another. Father, my prayer is today that uh, this whole leaven thing, uh, just continues to grow and to transform because you do it, not because we intend to do it. We don't have to come up with some evangelism program or anything like that. We just walk in your uh, love, walk in your faith, and we believe that you're going to do it in us. We watch you do it in us. And to me, that is uh, the true joy. The true joy. Watching you work through this community. Just loving each other.
I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.